I want to say good morning to you all. My name is James Monroe, and I was the fifth president of the United States. I was known for something called the Monroe Doctrine, but I didn't come here to talk about myself. I came here to talk about General George Washington. He would never talk about himself. <laughs> and so I'm stepping in to do that, talk about him and who he was. And he was, of course, uh, before he was our first president, he was the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. And America won its freedom from British control because of George Washington's brilliant leadership. However, if you would ask George Washington how we won the Revolutionary War, he would have said it was because of divine providence. Now, if you want to know the definition of divine providence, the simplest way to say it is this. Divine providence is something that God did. God providence provide. God provided help. And without that help, we would not have won the war. That's how George Washington felt. That's how I feel too. During the French and Indian War, General Washington was in an intense battle. He was leading a charge on horseback against the French and Indian forces. And he said this, by the miraculous care of providence that protected me beyond all human expectation, I had four bullet holes in my coat and two horses shot out from under me, and yet I escaped unhurt. So it was that George Washington believed that God protected him and helped him during the war. And four bullet holes in your coat means, and no shot, you didn't get shot, that means God was protecting you very much so. He called it divine providence or the direct intervention of God. But I am here more precisely to explain how God helped us in the battle that turned the tide of the Revolutionary War. And that was the battle for Trenton, New Jersey. I was in that battle, James Monroe. I was wounded in the battle for Trenton. And so I'm not just telling the story. I was there. It was December 1776. The British had driven Washington's army out of New York City. And Washington retreated from New York City through Pennsylvania down to the west side of the Delaware River. The colony of New Jersey had remained loyalists. That is, they were on the side of Great Britain. And the people of New Jersey did not support American forces led by George Washington but Washington had a strategy. <clears throat> and so he did his work on the west side of the Delaware River, which separates Delaware from New Jersey. And for 60 miles, he set up artillery along the river to keep the British from crossing over into Delaware. The British commander, Cornwallis, had decided to take the winter off 
and pull the British troops back to stay in New York City for the winter. So the British decided to send Hessians, who were mercenaries, to hold the ground for the winter. So it was that 2,000 Hessian troops moved into Trenton, New Jersey, to hold it for the winter. In the spring, they would cross over into Delaware and Pennsylvania, crush the American troops, and take over the city of Philadelphia. Or, as they said, we'll capture the old fox, George Washington. But Washington had discovered a flaw in the British tactics. After British won a battle, they stayed home and celebrated their victories. And the British didn't pursue the Continental Army as they retreated. Well, General Washington said he would retreat and keep retreating to lull the British into a false sense of security. He let them keep New Jersey to further convince them that Washington was in retreat. But Washington did more than that. He had a secret service, or what we would call spies, and the most successful was a man named John Honeyman. And Honeyman was forced to serve the British in the French and Indian War, so the British assumed that he was on their side. So he moved into British territory, New Jersey, and pretended to be a cattle dealer. But his main objective was giving misinformation to the British. He told the British commanders that Washington's army was half-naked, with no food, no clothing, and was dwindling into no army at all, which added to the false security of the British army. And when Honeyman had information for George Washington, he would wander across the American lines and be arrested by the American sentries, and they would take him to Washington. And in a private meeting, he told Washington that the Hessians were left in control of Trenton, and they were having a hard time. Trenton was a town with only about 100 houses in the whole town, and 2,000 Hessians took over the town and whatever they wanted, and they slept in almost every house in Trenton. And they were vicious cruel man. The people of New Jersey hated the Hessians. They formed a militia, or that is a small private army. And when the Hessians left Trenton, they attacked them in the surrounding woods. So the Hessians were in control of Trenton, but they couldn't leave town. It was December 22nd when the spy Huntington told Washington the information about Trenton. Washington, after he heard the information, gave Honeyman a key to the jail, and then he had him locked up. He would escape when it was convenient because he had the key in his pocket. You see, even the Americans didn't know he was a spy. On December 24th, two days later, 
Dr. Benjamin Russ visited George Washington and assured him that he had the full support of the Continental Congress, and Washington asked for money to pay his soldiers. Most of his army were New Yorkers who signed up to defend New York City. They had signed up to serve until December 31st. And unless he could offer them a bonus, they'd all leave for home on New Year's Day. But the source of money was from the Quakers. And the Quakers refused to fight in the war, so they were fined for not fighting, and the money was sent to Washington to pay his soldiers. And so you can see what was happening. December 22nd, John Honeyman, the spy, gave Washington information. December 24th, Benjamin Ross guaranteed support. And Washington and a man named Benedict Arnold planned a secret attack on Trenton. For the 10 days before this, George Washington had sent his men all up and down the Delaware River to commandeer every boat and every barge and bring them to a place called McConkie's Ferry, which was a good place to cross the Delaware River. Now comes the place where divine providence steps in. God did something to help. On Christmas Day, December 25th, Washington decided to cross the Delaware River with his army and attack Trenton. God sent a snowstorm, a real blizzard. And so it was. We loaded our cannons and horses into the nine-foot-wide and 60-foot-long barges, and we moved the whole army across the Delaware River on Christmas Day. We started at 2 p.m. in the blinding snowstorm, and we finished 14 hours later at 4 a.m. December 26. It was freezing weather and bitter cold, so Washington told his men to form lines and we will march to Trenton, which was 10 miles away. Against those orders, two men decided to stop and rest. And those two men froze to death. And so it was half an hour after sunrise on December the 26th, the Americans reached Trenton. Because of the snowstorm, nobody saw them approach. The Hessians had spent the night celebrating Christmas, getting drunk, and playing cards. And here's another thing that God did for the Americans. There was a British spy who saw what was happening. And he came to the Hessian fort and said that the Americans would be attacking the next day. But the Hessian commander refused to see the spy. He says, I'm busy playing cards. And so the spy left a handwritten note explaining that the Americans were on their way, and he went back out into the snowstorm. The note was given to the Hessian commander, 
and he put it in his pocket and he never read it. <laughs> Divine providence. Washington did three things when he arrived in Trenton. One group of men was sent to attack the sentries guarding the fort. I was wounded in that attack on the artillery position of the Hessians. The second group were ready to seize the town. And at the end of the two main streets of Trenton were set up artillery to fire grape shot as a deadly discharge both down both main streets whenever it was needed. The first shots fired were the Americans overtaking the guards. That's when I was wounded. And Washington sent troops into the town, house to house, to awaken the sleeping Hessians. Some tried to form ranks in the streets, but they were shot down by the great shot from the artillery. Most of the Hessian army were captured with bayonets. The commander of the Hessians got on his horse, rode out into the streets shouting in German, come on boys, what's going on? He was shot twice and died. Some of the troops refused to surrender and they waded across the shoulder deep river to escape. But when they got to the other side, they were met by the American artillery who shouted out, surrender or we'll blow you to pieces. <laughs> Within a couple of hours, the Hessians surrendered and we had 948 prisoners of war. No one ever expected the Americans to attack the day after Christmas. And when the blizzard came, nobody dreamed that the Americans would ever fight in a snowstorm. It was a stunning victory. And the people of New Jersey celebrated by changing sides and joining the American side. But it wasn't quite over. Cornwallis, the British general, was told of the attack, and he had gathered a thousand men, cracked troops, and headed for Trenton. There were a thousand Hessians that escaped out, and they were in a nearby place. So now moving towards our army were 2,000 fresh troops. We marched to Princeton, about 10 miles north, where the Hessians had run to escape. And we arrived at Princeton. The Hessians that didn't surrender locked themselves in the main building at Princeton College, which was a stone building. Henry Knox, a former student of Princeton, rolled a cannon in front of the door and blew open the door. And they said that the cannonball went into the building and beheaded a picture of King George. <laughs> and the Hessians all surrendered. So we took both Trenton and Princeton. And we hadn't eaten anything for 48 hours. And so Washington decided to cross the Delaware. <coughs> British troops were right on their heels. And get back over to the west side. So we went back, loaded all the barges and the boats, recrossed the Delaware River. 
Now to cross the Delaware River in a snowstorm was daring. To cross it twice was nearly impossible. The Hessian prisoners, 948 of them, were told to march in place on the barges in order to break through the ice on the river. So the victory in Trenton and Princeton was the turning point. Washington's Secret Service spies had convinced the British that the American army was nearly depleted, no food, no clothes, and no men. When Washington attacked Trenton, the whole mood changed. Men from New Jersey and Delaware and Pennsylvania joined local militia. Militia is a group of volunteers, farmers and storekeepers and blacksmiths and everyday people, people like me, who joined together to fight. Untrained, sometimes poorly armed, they joined together. Those men began to join Washington. 1,700 from Delaware, another 1,700 from Pennsylvania. And so the tide began to turn, and soon Washington's army was reinforced. The British were stunned by the victories, and that old fox crossing the Delaware River was never captured by the British. And that's how God used a Christmas snowstorm and an unread note to give Washington's army the victory at Trenton and Princeton. The American people were finally convinced that under George Washington's leadership with divine providence that it was possible to defeat the British with its superior forces and well-supplied army. On December 31st, George Washington tried to convince his men to re-enlist. He asked them to step forward, and no one did, so that he read from them Thomas Paine's latest column, which he, Thomas Paine had been there during the battle, and he gave a copy of it to George Washington. And this is what he read them. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot in this crisis shrink from the service of his country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of men and women. Tyranny like hell is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. That we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. Tis dearness only that gives us everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price on its goods. It would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly Raided. After he finished reading, one old soldier stepped forward, and before he was done, the entire group stepped forward. So Washington's men re-enlisted. He was able to form an army of men who were battle-trained and willing to fight, and the revolution was given new life.
and blessed by God, the Americans won the independence that they had declared on July 4th, 1776. And so, as you heard this morning from your national anthem, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us a nation. And conquer we must on our cause it is just. If this be our motto, in God do we trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. This morning I say, God bless America. And we thank you for listening to the story. I was wounded, lost a lot of blood, but survived. And later became the fifth president of the United States. We thank you for being with us and listening. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. We thank you for our country, Lord. Those who suffered, those who went through hard trials in order to secure us the liberty we have today. We are grateful. We are proud to stand up and say we're Americans. And whatever this country goes, whatever direction it goes, we still know to this day that in God is our trust. And that is our motto. And we agree that in God we'll put our faith and we'll believe in him and that he has never abandoned his own. And so we thank you for this freedom that we enjoy and for the blessings that are with it. And we are grateful to you on this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish with a song in your hymn book. You'll turn over to us. 586 America. Standing as we sing, number 586. (coughs) Page 586. Thank you.
Everybody said? Amen. 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 Let's ask Levi, if you would, to close in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this great nation that we can be a part of. We thank you that you have put us here in this place. And we thank you for all of those who have trusted in you to make it possible that you, divine providence, have reached your hand across the American history and have put us here and protected our nation. Lord, we pray that we would stand up for those things that we need to, for freedom to worship, freedom to do the things that we know that you have called us to do. We pray that you would give us the strength to do that. We pray that we would have uh, the courage when we know that danger rises, Lord, that we would stand and do what you have called us to do. May we listen to you. May we seek you in our hearts of other, as others have so often in our past. We just ask that our hearts would be closer to you each and every day and that you'd still continue to put your hand in our country and all the things that happen there. Give us wisdom and our leaders as well. Watch over us, Lord, we pray. Protect us as we go from this place and bring us back ready to worship, ready to draw nearer to you, we pray. In your name, amen. amen.